Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Parliament has voted and it has said no to no deal, no also to any sort of deal, no to extending Article 50 and no to even thinking about allocating any time to talking about any of it. No, 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 no. British politicians are two-year-olds shouting no at everything because they can and they haven't got a clue what they want and they seem unaware that they've just missed out on ice cream. Prime Minister and frostbitten bollard Theresa May spent over two years working on a deal, or at least a few weeks of that two years, persuading everyone to like it and warning of the consequences of voting against it. Only to then, on Tuesday, vote against it herself and promise to go back to the EU with loads and loads of asks that they've already said no to. Every single time I think we've hit peak stupid, Theresa May climbs up there with sandals on and adds scaffolding which she hasn't got all the parts for or any idea how it should be assembled. Do you know that old joke about the duck who keeps going to the butcher's or bar or whatever variant you've heard and repeatedly asks if they've got any wood? Do you know that? The duck goes up to barman and says, got any wood? And the barman says, no, this is a pub. And he comes back in the next day and says, got any wood? And the barman says, no, it's a pub. And next day he comes in and says, got any wood? And the barman says, if you ask me that again, I'll nail your feet to the floor. And next day the duck comes in and says, have you got any nails? And the barman says, nails? No. And then the duck says, you got any wood? Right, that duck is Theresa May just without the wherewithal to ask if the barman has any nails at the end, or if she did, it wouldn't be out of some smarts, it'd only be because she'd already been told they didn't. There is nothing about what's happened that makes sense unless you understand that it's more important to Conservatives to survive as a party than for the country to do well. It's either that or they're a special sort of vampire that only feeds off misery and have a really big feast planned for later this year. The Brexit debate leading to Tuesday night could again have been replaced with the noise of a horse kicking a dustbin full of old brass instruments. At one point, Conservative MP and the worst of Harry Enfield's characters, Oliver Letwin, said that he is past caring what the deal is. And a lot of people got very angry, but I think that that's the first time I've ever heard a Conservative MP entirely in tune with the public. Brexit secretary and man who is to politics what Tab Clear was to fizzy drinks, Stephen Barclay, said that one of the amendments was an empty vessel, a Trojan horse. Now, either he doesn't remotely know his Greek mythology or he blames his own dysfunctional genitals and some condoms he once bought, you know, like a bad workman might. 
Most of the potentially useful amendments were rejected due to the Conservative and DUP majority in Parliament. Combined with a handful of Labour MPs who still think the best way to get Tory voters on side is to have them so confused at the ballot box as to which candidate is which. Only 14 Conservatives voted for the Yvette Cooper and Dominic Grieve amendments, one of which was to extend Article 50, another which is mainly just to have more time to talk about all these things, and it was only 14 Conservatives because Tory rebel is a term that is a paradox and therefore can't exist. You know, like compassionate conservatism, affordable housing or James Cleverly. Somewhere in the depths of the universe, in a place where space and time warp and things happen that shouldn't, several bizarro Tory rebels are enjoying an alternative no-deal Brexit that was successful while listening and actually gaining enrichment from something A. Piers Morgan says. But if you have a minority, how do you defeat a powerful majority? I was trying to think of historical examples of that happening, but realised having Labour, SNP and the Lib Dem MPs dressed as Gerard Butler from 300 really won't help matters and, if anything, will probably make it worse. The Conservatives had all joined together because of the Malthouse Compromise, which sounds like something weird happened when they all had a sleepover and drank too much Ovaltine and now they're sworn to secrecy. But actually, it was an agreement to all back a plan that doesn't make much sense as a plan. So yes, I guess the too much Ovaltine thing still very much works. So Corbyn's amendment was rejected, Blackford's amendment and Cooper's and Greaves, even though, as I said, that was just about allocating time to discuss Brexit, so voting against it seemed to be just rebelling against having to even be there to vote on it. The only two that did pass were Spellman's amendment to avoid a no-deal, which can't actually happen, and that was an advisory amendment anyway, so people won't take notice in the first place, and Brady's amendment for May to seek alternatives to the Northern Irish backstop, which can't be done unless May is going to rename it a Northern Irish palisade. Labour leader and sentient eyebrow Jeremy Corbyn has said that he'll now speak to May after Parliament voted to avoid a no-deal, even though that doesn't mean that it's off the table, and in fact all the other votes against all the other amendments mean that it really still is very much there and is kind of like a main course with those big silver dishes over the top of it to keep it hot. Today he told Sky News that it's wrong that the UK can't unilaterally stop a backstop that they voted for and put in place as a failsafe in case they don't find a solution. So there's a Prime Minister who's going to Europe to tell people she wants things that they've already said she can't have, and an opposition leader who's agreeing to meet with May because of something that isn't happening and is criticising things that are only put in place because no one else has any ideas. Seriously, has there been a deadly gas leak at Parliament? Are we going to find out in ten years' time that they're all slowly getting mercury poisoning every single time they drank anything in the bar? I'm starting to wonder if the best plan of action is none of this uh, debates or talks or second votes. It's just for someone else who can prove that they've read at least one thing and won't touch a metal pipe if they've been warned it's hot, just declares themselves as leader and we unilaterally as a country let them have a go. Oh, and Labour MP and wearer of sunglasses so big she's probably vitamin D deficient, Fiona Onasanya, has been sentenced to three months in prison due to lying about speeding and texting while driving. I almost wonder if it's now, with all this Brexit stuff, just part of a politician's inbuilt training that they can't be honest about anything anymore. Did Fiona Onasanya straight up lie when asked how fast she was going? Or did she respond, well, it's the ridiculous limits enforced by the EU that mean people everywhere are moving too slow to sustain our economy? Still, based on the debates that she'll be missing between now and April, I can't help but feel we'll see a number of MPs stepping on the gas while watching YouTube and trying to wave down police just to see if they'll be as lucky. Yes, that is all I'm saying on what was just several hours of idiocy on Tuesday. It's so, it's so stupid. It's all so stupid. Um, anyway, look, uh, welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast podcast. This is not so much a bonus episode as a kind of add-on to the one that came out on Tuesday. As the interview that I was meant to do uh, on Monday for episode 128 didn't happen because my interviewee was sadly unwell. However, uh, she then contacted me on Tuesday and asked if I fancied speaking to her then instead. And I did. Um, so this is technically episode 128B. 
And if you listen to it very quickly after 128, then it's almost like that one didn't completely go out of date immediately after release. Anyway, thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoy. And don't forget, subscribe, review, donate, eat and sleep where you can. Be kind to one another and avoid any scary looking spiders. And there'll be a proper full length episode out next week on Tuesday as per normal. Wales, the strange, stumpy, grabby, upturned hand at the midriff of the UK, and a beautiful country, well, except Newport, of rolling valleys, stunning coastlines, and home of all the rain. It's also a place obsessed by rugby, which I think is a great indication of a good people. As you know, for them, it's not about whether they win or not, as long as they try. Wales has been having a pretty hard time of things lately, with a number of infrastructure projects due to bring work, power and industry with them failing before they've even started. The latest of these, the Wilfer Neuid, a £12 billion nuclear power station, is currently suspended by Hitachi because of the rising construction costs needed to build it. Which, I mean, yeah, it's a nuclear power plant. You can't just make a shack roof for it out of PVC. What did you think was going to happen? Now, with Airbus threatening to leave as well due to Brexit, it could leave a pretty big dent in the country's employment, which is already the lowest in the UK. Add to that an NHS that's constantly failing to meet targets, the loss of an annual £680 million of funds from the EU that's going to disappear after Brexit, and a potential for the Welsh Government to lose some of its devolved powers under May's withdrawal agreement, and it's easy to think that things are looking even more damp and grey than usual. And that's how I feel from an outsider's point of view, Um, you know, someone who regularly gigs in Wales, but that doesn't really remotely qualify me to have a clue how things actually are. I mean, last time I was there, I spent my whole time tweeting pictures of a projector uh, in my Airbnb that was set up just to um, shine a massive image of the Welsh dragon on the living room wall. Uh, So, you know, what do I know? Um, I've had Northern Irish and Scottish politics updates from interviewees on this show several times before, but talking to someone about Welsh politics was long overdue. So this week I spoke to comedian, writer and columnist Esh Schilt says, uh, yeah, I've probably said her name wrong already, despite practicing. She told me about 12 times and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'm really, I'm so sorry, Eschild. I'm, I'm sorry again for that one as well. Um, anyway, Eschild has written for the News Quiz, uh, the soon to be aired new sketch show from LS James on S4C, uh, as well as writing a regular column for E. Kimro, the only hard copy Welsh language newspaper in Wales. So I asked Eschild, all about what the general political gist is in Wales at the moment, what exactly the difference between the Welsh Assembly and Welsh Government is, and I gave her constant reassurances that there wasn't interference on the line, it was just my awful, useless attempts to do decent Welsh pronunciations. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Here is Eshilt. Eshilt. so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So does it seem like people in Wales are still pro-Brexit? Because obviously Wales voted, I think it's 52% Brexit, pretty much bang on the the uh, the UK kind of number. Um, are, are Welsh people still pro-Brexit despite all the evidence that it's going to hit Wales pretty hard? This is such a hard question to answer um, because there, there were some polls actually out before Christmas that said that um, that Wales no longer supports Brexit um, and that it's it's starting to, to shift. But to be honest, it's really quite hard to gauge because I think with my social group, for example, I haven't come across anyone who's admitted to voting leave. So on a social level, and even work-wise, you know, in my line of work and things like that, I haven't met someone who's admitted to it. So it's very hard to gauge on that level so you're kind of having to go by these polls and and the polls were saying before Christmas that you know it was changing and people in Wales were starting to to think oh you know if they voted again they would vote to remain um 
But then there is an element, I think. You'll have um, the farming community, especially. I mean, a lot of farmers voted to leave, which was quite, quite unprecedented, you know, just just because of how much help, financial help they they get from the EU. Um, And I don't know, a lot of people I've spoken to have said that maybe some of them now just think, oh, well, let's just get on with it. This whole rhetoric that so many people have of, well, it's happening now, let's just do it and see what happens. Um, Oh, I don't know. Is it, are there there specific areas? Because, I I mean, I I can recall a particularly uh, not fun gig that I had at Blackwood Miners Institute, uh, shout out to Blackwood Miners Institute, um, where pretty much the entire audience, I think, were angry leave voters at the time. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? As a stand-up, I think you, you get a, a real insight that other people don't get because in, in my stand-up, I tend not to um, do any kind of um, political commentary at all. Uh, I, I find that it's safer not to. But you, you do listen to other comics and they will try and broach it and you will get a sense of you know how that area either voted or what they feel about it now. I think the problem for me is I, I grew up in Ceredigion, um, which is the count, a county that voted to stay. Um, I live in the Vale of Glamorgan, and we voted to stay as well. <laughs> um, you know, I went to university in Cardiff. Cardiff as a county voted to stay. So, so for me, I've always moved in remain <laughs> circles. Um so again, you know, my my points of reference are still very much remain. But I, I think I, I will put my neck out there, though, and say I think in the main, I think there is a shift. I think there is a shift in Wales, more so because people are starting to realise that Wales might get left behind on certain elements. And I think so many things that have happened in the news recently, um, uh, things like um, the Tidal Lagoon, project um, not going ahead, um, the electrification of, of the, the railway in, in South Wales, um, things to do with Tata Steel and, you you know, so many things are going wrong at the moment um, where there's an issue with job losses. And I think that's suddenly now making people think, you know, God, you know, who's actually looking after us in Wales? So, I, yeah. So if I, if I had to say there is a shift, I think there is a shift to to remain definitely. I mean, that's uh, something I wanted to ask you about with the, with the nuclear power plant and the tidal lagoon stuff. But the, is there an overall feeling? Uh, I mean, and I say this as, as someone I sort of mentioned to you before we recorded that uh, uh, Wales is so rarely mentioned on news in uh, England. You know, do, does does Wales feel like it's being neglected by the UK government? All these infrastructure projects have been kind of failed or suspended. It doesn't feel like we're hearing Wales's voice on Brexit very much. Is that the feeling, or, or am I just kind of putting that on? Um, no, I think you're right. And but I think Wales's voice isn't even being heard in Wales because there is a big debate at the moment about um whether or not the media should be devolved and whether we should have an independent um, media in Wales. Because, you know, we don't really I mean that have a proper you know well, we don't have a daily Welsh newspaper, really. I mean, we, you've got the Western Mail, for example. That's that's seen as the national daily newspaper. But m- more and more, it's. I'm 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 going to say it. I I don't think that journalistically it's a very good newspaper. 
they're, they're too driven by clickbait and stuff these days. You know, it's not enough investigative journalism. It never feels like it, it has Wales's interests at heart. Um, it'll go after quite easy populist UK-wide stories sometimes. Um, so I, I just don't feel like there's, there's a, a paper, especially online or, or otherwise, that really has that... Um, really goes after that um, uh, there has been though some development there's a, a newspaper um, an online newspaper called um, Nation Cymru that has started to change that so it's very like whale centric it's Welsh news for Welsh people because you know most of the um, national newspapers like UK national newspapers they will have regional versions in Scotland and in Ireland but you don't in Wales and so many people will read your Daily Mails and the Sun and the Mirror and stuff like this. But they, it's English news. Um, and I think that's what drove a lot of um, people to vote leave in a way, because they were looking at what was happening in certain areas in England, which had no relevance <laughs> to what's happening in Wales. But they were just going with what those papers were writing about, you know, and that's hard. It's it's hard for me. I've always said that what Wales needs is a good national Welsh tabloid, um, more so than anything else. You know, to get to those those um, areas of the news that really um, hit a note. With, you know, with with working class people, um, you just don't have that in Wales. You know, you. People will just read read it from an English perspective. I mean, are there no sort of uh, Welsh language papers then? Because I mean, one of the you know, I, I've seen S four C quite a few times and, and watched um, completely confused as I don't speak Welsh. But but you know, it's it, I, you know, what's what's the kind of voice that's been behind S four C or behind Welsh language publications, or or don't they really exist? Yes, yeah, so you'll have um, you'll have the national news on S four C. They have a few programs that will go out every day, and to be fair, they, they're quite balanced news reports. They tend to be quite balanced, and they you know they will go after Welsh interests more than anything else. But you're obviously then just targeting Welsh speakers, um, and although you know there are a lot of Welsh speakers, it's not the biggest part of. of um, of the population so you're, you're missing out on you know three quarters of the population that way I personally I write a column for the monthly national Welsh language newspaper but because it's a monthly paper it's more commentary um, and again you know you're, you're restricted by just targeting Welsh speakers so in, in a way and I, I I don't know how to, how to position this without sounding a bit um, elitist about it but I, I do feel sometimes that Welsh language, Welsh speakers get a more balanced view on things than non-Welsh speakers, because the non-Welsh speakers will get most of their news from English papers, which is, you know, they're not necessarily going after the, the Welsh topics, if you see what I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the English papers are poisoning Wales, that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> your headline <laughs> <laughs> i'll run with that i'll run with that that's fine um <laughs> so what i mean one of the the things that i have seen in headlines is that the the welsh government are overriding the assembly on brexit matters and some people seem to be 
upset with that. Now, this is an area that I'm very unclear on as to how it works in terms of devolvement. But what should the assembly or government be more be in charge of Brexit from the Welsh people's point of view? How does it, how does it all work? It's a very good question. Shall I shall I first explain what the difference is? Please, yes, please do. Yeah. Welsh assembly, because. I myself sometimes I'll write something and I, I I won't even think about you know whether I'm putting assembly or government down and I and even you know newspapers will will mix them up. Um, to put it in the, in the easiest way possible, so the National Assembly for Wales is the body that represents the interest of Wales. So so in a, in a British or an English sense, you're talking about Westminster. So the National Assembly is. Westminster. But the Welsh government is the actual government that was formed after an election. So the Welsh government is currently a Labour government. So the Assembly is the body and the Welsh government is the, the ruling party, basically. Does that make sense? So what you're talking about here is that whether whether the assembly, so all you know, all the parties within that body, whether that should um, override what Welsh government, as in Labour, as the ruling party, are deciding, and it's it's such an interesting topic because I personally feel because all these decisions now are being made from Westminster, it does feel a little bit like the assembly maybe they should all come together and really just look after the interests of Wales because on a Westminster level you have this rhetoric at the moment of oh, we, you know we should all come together and support what Theresa May wants to do you know um for the sake of the country etc on a Westminster level I personally don't agree with that I think you know it needs to be challenged and I think all the parties should have a role to play in that but on, an, on a Welsh level, I think it's reached a point where we're at such a crucial point where we might lose, you know, a lot of our devolved powers um, and, you know, the decisions that we used to be able to make, we might not be able to make anymore. I just think maybe the Assembly should have more of a say as to what happens now. So... In terms of sort of putting Brexit aside for one minute, like in terms of things like the NHS, again, that's a constant thing that comes up that, that, you know, the NHS in Wales is having worse target issues than the NHS in England. But is that then more the fault of the Welsh government's management or is that due to lack of allocated funding from the UK Westminster government? How, you know, where, where do you put the blame for that? And where do kind of, you know, are Welsh people angry with how, with their own government or does the blame kind of get put onto the overall it, it depends on which party you you support i think <laughs> right as always yeah, right. <laughs> exactly but for me i think it's it's both it's the fault of both of them you know there, there isn't enough allocated funding but also i don't think the welsh government is managing it properly but you will you will see the nhs is is used as a political tool though you know you will have, you'll have Jeremy Corbyn, we'll, he'll go on about, you know, the fact that um, the NHS in Wales, you know, people still see the value of it because obviously, you know, there's a big history of the NHS being established by a Welshman and, you know, and they're very proud of that. So this, this they do use it as a political tool, whereas then, you know, 
the Tories in Westminster will will use the figures um, in Wales to to attack the Labour government, but obviously they have some responsibility as well in terms of funding. So, so it it, it is used a lot as a as a tool. But personally, yes, I I think you know it's the fault of both of them. Right, and so and is it? I mean, do you think Wales is kind of still very much a Labour country then as well because it was for many years but then I know in recent years obviously there, some areas went a bit UKIPI which was uh, again probably down to the English papers um, and, uh, and applied Kimry's kind of disappeared a bit is that right I mean what, where do you see the kind of future of, of Welsh politics? Um, it's still very much I mean in, in some places it's still very much Labour I mean when you're talking about um, the industrialised areas of Wales it is still very much Labour. I mean, in, in some areas, you know, you could put a potato to stand for an election, <laughs> you know, it, for Labour. And they would, you know, it's a it's a shoe in in some places. It doesn't really matter, you know, who you are as, as a candidate. If you're if you're a Labour candidate, you'll get in. And, and that's not <laughs> my saying potato. I must I must just. <laughs> by saying that is in no way making out that um, that the voters, you know, aren't thinking about who they're voting for. It just means that it's so ingrained in them and, you know, they, they will never vote Tory. That's the point. They will never, ever vote Tory because of how they see the Tory government under Margaret Thatcher treated those industrial areas. You know, it, it just doesn't matter to them. You know, Labour is basically the anti-Tory vote. Um, and I mean, Plaid Cymru, um, to be fair to them, I, I don't think they've made the gains that they'd hoped that they would. Um, having said that, they have made some headway in some of the the more industrial areas. And I think someone like Leanne Wood, um, when she was the leader, she was able to reach out to those industrial areas because, you know, that's where she comes from. And she could talk to them you know, on, on a level that they they got actually, you know, we do have another option here. It's not just about Labour potentially. We we, we do have another option other than the Tories. Um but yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the reason is there. You know, there has been some some squabbling internally with Plaid Cymru. So I, I just don't know. maybe they just haven't been as focused as they should have been. But um Is it anything to do with the because I mean Leanne Wood was very good on a uh, on a kind of UK level as well. Whenever she did televised debates, she came across very well. Whereas the new leader, Adam Price, all I've really seen is that quite odd campaign video that he did. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've seen that. It looks like a sort of 80s music video. <laughs> but I don't know. Do, do you think that he's not quite got the same uh, gravitas as maybe the previous leader? Um, yeah, she was, yeah, she was very good at putting Plaid Cymru on a, on a UK level. And again, yeah, because like you said, Wales doesn't get the headlines in England or in Scotland, but with her, we, we kind of did. Um, and she was quite media friendly and she would stand up to herself. Um, I don't know. I mean, Adam Price still probably needs to prove himself, but he's he's got a lot of support, though. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what he does. Um, but, Yeah. <laughs> 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, like you mentioned before about the, the kind of uh, years of, uh, you know, the history is, is why people wouldn't vote Conservative again. Um, and then that brings me back to kind of the infrastructure projects that have failed recently. Is that... Is there then still a lot of animosity or it must be coming back again towards the Conservative government? Yes, because I think historically, when you when you talk about um, coal mines especially, I think the, one of the issues that you'll always talk about is that it's not the fact that they were closed down, but that there was no contingency plan. Nothing was, was put in place for all those people who lost their jobs um, and those communities that, that obviously suffered as a result. And it seems that that's what's happening now as well, is that all these projects are being promised. And, and you know, a lot of them are innovative projects. You know, you're talking about the Tidal Lagoon and stuff like that. Um, and for me personally, you, you said about Wilver there, because I, I never used to be a massive advocate for, for nuclear power. But then I heard a programme on BBC Radio Cymru a couple of years ago, and they, they talked to young people on Anglesey about their prospects and the weight of expectation on this new Wilver plant was huge because it is such a massive employer and you're not you know you're not just talking about you know um, mundane manual work you're talking about you know engineers and scientists and managerial jobs and things like that and and without that they will leave the island and it for me then I just started to support it purely for that um, because they felt so passionate about it. Um, and I thought, well, if this is going to be on their doorstep and they, they want it, then who are we to say that you can't have it, you know? Um, so f- for this to happen now, I just, it's desperately sad and there's nothing in its place. And, you know, we've heard about, um, you know, jobs, job losses with Airbus and, um, further further back with, with Tata Steel and things like that. This is the problem with Wales constantly since since the coal mines. Fine, if there's a reason that something isn't economically viable or environmentally sound, fine. But try and put something else in place. It just feels that, you know, the, the rug is just pulled out from under our feet in Wales constantly and nothing's there to, to help prop us up again. Um 
yeah, and it's it's starting to feel now. I think, and I think Brexit is making it worse because you we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what what deals we're going to have UK wide and how that will affect Wales. So, so when these projects, you know, don't come to fruition, it makes us just a, just a tad nervous. <laughs> Let's say that. Sure. I mean, and also, is, is infrastructure kind of the way forward for for Welsh industry and jobs? I mean, what else? Were, what else do you think Wales would thrive from people kind of uh, putting into it or, or working on there? Because, because like things like the Tidal Lagoon for me just seem to make so much sense to have in Wales because of how the sea is so regularly. You know, I just thought, well, there's lo- you know, and wind power and things like that seem to be a, an obvious one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a country, we should be able to produce most of our power from natural resources. You know, from from the wind and the tide and Maybe not so much the sun, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it just seems ridiculous. And this the tidal lagoon project just seemed not just for Wales, but for the whole of the UK. You know, it, it was kind of put, putting us on some kind of platform, showing that you know we were leading the way in in this type of um, of energy. And oh, I I genuinely don't know. Like every question you're asking me, I just want to sound exasperated and just gap <laughs> at everything because you know I, I obviously don't have any of the answers and it more and more the feeling I've had over the last few years is just this thing of oh god what next you know just give us a break <laughs> you know um but yeah things like the tidal lagoon I mean you see other countries um that are just managing to 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 push the the green energy agenda so much better I mean in Wales as well there there doesn't seem to be a proper strategic plan for wind energy for example you'll you'll see a couple of of sites you know crop up here and there and you know and people will complain that they're not producing enough energy and often you'll drive past them and they're never turning and and you just think where's the strategy here you know wouldn't it be better to just put aside certain sections of land and just go for it you know rather than just give a farm you know a a windmill here and there you know I just I don't know I'm not an expert (laughs) just feels like it's a bit of a scatter scatter approach rather than really going for it but again you know if we're having to um, if we're having to get approval from Westminster and they have different ideas then you know I, I don't know what the what the answer is to that I really don't there's so so many obstacles in the way. I mean, you you know, you you're saying you're exasperated. I think the entire the entirety of the UK is exasperated at the moment, and 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 fed up. And uh, you know, it's a it's something that I think all the listeners will fully sympathise with too. It's um one of the possibly uh, good bits of news, or well, I'll ask you, but you know, um, I read that Welsh is no longer being classed as a second language in English medium schools in in Wales. Is that a uh, is that a good thing? That must be a, a good move in terms for the Welsh language, anyway. Yeah, I think it's a great thing because I think what the Welsh language now, compared to when I was in school, um, oh god, I'm not going about you know twenty odd years ago. I I think it's changed. I think the stigma there has changed a bit because I, I went to um, it wasn't classified as a Welsh high school, but it was seen as the Welsh school in the town. So you'd have there was an English school, and then if you wanted to, to study through Welsh, you'd go to this this other school, this this Welsh school. And um, but you know we were 
bullied for speaking Welsh and, you know, we, we were seen as Welsh nationalists if we spoke Welsh, which, you know, as a child is quite hard to deal with because it's just the language you're used to, you know, it's the language you're brought up on. You didn't choose to speak that language, you know, you know, more so than, you know, anyone who, who speaks English chose to, to speak English. So, um, so I think that the attitude towards the Welsh language within education has changed a lot. Um, and I think, yes, stopping, you know, stopping cl- this classification of, of it being a second language for, for certain pupils in, in English medium schools is important because it helps. Again, it's another step in pulling away that stigma. The only thing I would say, though, is you have to be mindful that you will get a, a range then of abilities so, for example, you know, if you were a first language French speaker and you were doing GCSEs, then you, you got someone who, who was just starting to learn French and they were doing GCSEs as well. I think it's it's being mindful of the different abilities and how you classify that, because obviously you can't compare um, someone's ability in a, you know, whose first language Welsh, who's in a Welsh medium school doing GCSE, for example, and then compare that with someone in, a, in an English medium school and it's their second language, you know, they're, they're not going to be on the same level. So you obviously still have to have some kind of distinction, I think, because then how do you go on to university and things like that? How, how will they know what your ability is if you're doing the same course? I, I, I don't know. Um, but but yeah, in in the main, I think I think it's great because you know you you calling it a um, second language, um, you know I, I I think has always made it seem a, a bit um, second class in a way. So yeah, I think I think it's great for that. And that's uh, something I meant to ask you just right at the beginning. Actually, um, it's just. You know, one of the things that I've always had a sense of uh, with Wales, just just from geeking there lots and uh, and sort of going there to do various shows, um, you know, there's such a, Wales has such a good sense of national pride. Like, do you think that that comes above, you know, leavers and remainers and language divisions and things like that? Do you think that Wales will always kind of be united as being Welsh? There's definitely a feeling, you know, that, yeah, that, that Welshness is there as a constant, certainly. Because um, I remember in university, one of one of my um, essays, because I was studying Welsh history, and one of my essays was whether whether you needed to be able to speak Welsh to, to count yourself as Welsh. And I don't think you do. And I think that's what's quite unique in Wales, is that you they can kind of coexist. Um, I mean, obviously, you'll have some fractions. But, but in the main, there is still that feeling of... Um, that's that sense of of national pride, but but then having said that, often that comes from feeling like you're being hard done by by someone. Um, you know, there's that collective um, nationality that that kind of that comes out of being trodden upon sometimes. You know, because that's all you've got in a way, and that's and that's not a healthy nationality. I don't think. Um, but yeah, in the main, you know, the the Six Nations is starting soon, and you know, most people will will get behind that, whether they speak Welsh or English, or you know, whether they've moved in or you know, even my husband, bless him, he he came round um 
France when when Wales was playing in the Euros, um, and he he started to to enjoy that feeling of of nationality because I I don't think it has the same stigma as um, as English nationality has, um, for example, because because my husband's English and he often you know looks at Welsh and things. Oh gosh, you know it'd be nice if I could feel that same kind of pride without having you know, some awful connotations that sadly English nationality um, has, you know. I don't know. I don't know if you feel like that. Yeah, well, absolutely. But it's like you said in that, you know, um, whether that's a sort of sad way to look at it, but like, the, you know, Welsh pride, like you said, it, it might come from being trodden on, but Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland have suffered at the hands of English over many years and, you know, or, or kind of been oppressed by and, and, and British uh, or English pride kind of comes from, you know the, the empire and all sorts of awful reasons it, it stems from whereas i feel like there's something a bit more uh this sounds horribly patronizing but kind of honest or real about you know uh, scottish welsh and, and northern irish pride maybe maybe i'm i'm looking at that because i'm, I'm based in london and constantly feel guilty about it but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and i mean i've always said this and I, i'm probably gonna annoy a lot of welsh speakers who are listening to this now but you know and i'm i'm very i'm a very proud welsh speaker and you know i i support you know the drive to get more people to speak it um but but i've always said you know would we really feel so passionately about it if it really was on a par with with english you know the, the reason that we have such a a fire in our bellies for it and you know that we want to fight for it is because it's at risk you know and I think becoming if 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 Welsh was just accepted and it was completely equal with English we would get complacent surely we would we would we would just take it for granted and I think that's quite interesting as well and I'm sure that possibly comes out in kind of your sense of 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 nationalism or whatever I, th I think you you hold on to it and you take pride in it when it's at risk maybe I don't know yeah no, I think you're right especially you know even just looking on social media the amount of kind of English nationalists who don't know the difference between your your and your uh you know I think it's <laughs> it's evident they take it for granted <laughs> Um, and just uh, one last question for you, which is uh, something that I ask all the guests on this pro uh, podcast is, um, apart from yourself, obviously, um, who should listeners check out and read up on and follow online for Welsh politics information? Like, who do you go to? Who do you enjoy reading? Right. Oh, do you know what? I had to whittle this down <laughs> quite a lot because there were so many people. Um, so the first person I say is Richard Wynne-Jones. He is a professor in Welsh politics and you'll often find him um, on English and Welsh TV commentating during elections and things like that. Um, but I really like him. He's um, he's quite straight talking. Um, and and even though he, you know, his interests lie with, with, with Welsh politics, he he doesn't revere Welsh politics as, you know, <laughs> as the blueprint for everything. He'll, um, he'll really criticise it. And, you know, and I like that. I like people who are passionate about Wales, but who will, who will really, um, yeah, who, who will criticise it as well. You know, I think that's important for, for growth and prosperity. So, um, yeah, so Richard Wynne-Jones, definitely. Um, then, 
There's a journalist called Elena Kresky. She's written quite a bit for The Guardian and she's she's done a bit for Channel 4 News as well. Now, she doesn't, she's Welsh, um, but she doesn't specifically write about Welsh things. But now and again, you know, if, if a story breaks and it's something relevant to Wales, she will comment on it. And she always has quite insightful things to say. So I would definitely recommend her. Then I mentioned earlier on um, this online newspaper that's um, uh, been established called Nation Cymru. Um, again, just to get a Welsh view on the news um, that you might not get through mainstream media. Um, and it's quite a balanced view as well. You know, it's it's not, you know, Wales is great. You know, it's um, it, it's quite a reality check sometimes about what's happening in Wales. Um then you've got Ethel Gwaur, and she is um, BBC Cymru's Westminster correspondent. So she will commentate a lot on um, what's happening with um, Welsh MPs um, in the Commons and things like that. So, so that's really interesting as well. So you're not just talking about Assembly members. You know, it's it's kind of the influence or, or lack of influence that Wales has in Westminster. So she she always has. Um, very interesting commentary on that. Um, and I might, I might have to get you. How do you spell her name? So her name is Ellu. So that's E L L I W Gwaur G W A W R. I'm really pleased I asked. Thank you. <laughs> that's all right. She's got two. Um, she's got two accounts on Twitter. Um, one is for her her Westminster um, correspondent role. And the other one is she she bakes, she writes cookery books and stuff. So um so that's obviously how she distresses after being in Westminster. <laughs> it's worth following both of her accounts. Um and then um two more. So Roger Scully, um he's head of politics at Cardiff University. I really like him. And then someone I think you know, um, on Twitter, he um, comes under the, the Twitter handle of um, Maidley. I would recommend people follow him on Twitter because whenever um, Welsh-related news or, or even English-related news that could have a knock-on effect on Wales but no one's talking about it, he will pull people up on it. And, you know, he gets angry, but it's nice to see other people getting angry about it. And you think, oh, actually, yeah, it's not just me, you know. And he's he's got a very animated way of, of explaining Welsh politics to people. And I just love it. Um, so, yeah, so that's my short, my, my long short list. Thanks very much to Esilt for the chat. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at, and I'm going to spell this, E-S-Y-L-L-T-M-A-I-R or on Instagram at uh, E-S-Y-L-L-T dot S-E-A-R-S. Um, all the other links she mentions will be up on the website later in the week, courtesy of linear liner note writer Cat Day. Um, I still need more guests for this show. Feed me guests. Not literally, because then uh, I still wouldn't have a guest. I'd have eaten them. You can't just have your guest and eat it. Um, do send me your suggestions for who to interview, please, or what subjects to interview people about. Do you want more international subjects? Do you want more Brexit nonsense? I'm sure you don't. Who does? Uh, more issues that definitely aren't Brexit. That's probably uh, more of a goer. What have I neglected on this show so far or for a while or what burning injustices should I be taking an audio hose to? Uh, bearing in mind that an audio hose would be useless despite sound waves. Uh, let me know at any of these socials and connect ability stations uh, at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Group on Facebook, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or 
or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could put your recommendation into the credits of an on-demand TV show, and then when I'm binge-watching it, I won't see it as it disappears into a minimised screen, only for the next episode to start, ensuring no one cares about who worked on what and if anyone has a hilarious surname. Oh, it's so sad. Why no one care about the makeup wrangler or camera upsetter? So sad. So yeah, uh, probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's that. Uh, proper episode again next Tuesday, where I'll probably be telling you about how May responding to the EU saying no to removing the backstop by saying, cool, cool, can remove the backstop, though, please, 600 times, actually wore them down enough to let her plan through after they ran out of tables to bang their heads on. Please subscribe, donate to the Kofi and Patreon sites, and review the show, and I'll see you on Tuesday. Bye! <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.